the Wisconsin Film Festival. Today, we're lucky to have two visitors, the directors of a lovely, moving, elegant, intimate film called This Is My Desire. Welcome, Ari and Chuko Asiri. Thanks for having us, Kelly. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So the two of you have made a film about two characters, a middle-aged electrician and a young woman who works in a hair salon and in a bar. They both wish to migrate. The man wants to go to Spain and the woman wants to go to Italy. Now, both of these characters struggle with the bureaucracy of getting their papers in order and both struggle to take care of family members. But this is my desire is not necessarily a heroic portrait of the striving immigrant who overcomes all odds. Can you tell us a little bit about that aspect of your film, the kind of the, the migrant film? Well, f- for us, um, I will say that for, for, for us, our, our, our experience of watching migrant films, particularly set uh, on the continent of Africa, they were always told from one end, from one end of the, uh, well, of the journey, mainly from the other side. And there tends to be a preoccupation, as you said, with um, overcoming all odds. It's, it's, it's crossing the desert and crossing the ocean. And it's, it's all about the perilous, um, the, 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 the perilous journey that they undertake. And our finding, or rather our feeling, was that you don't actually get to know or um, truly empathize with these people as human beings. Um, you know, you obviously sympathize that what they're doing and what they're going through is extreme, but you have no sense of who these people actually are and what um, what they've what they've gone through before they get to that point. And we really wanted to tell a reverse migration story that sort of showed you the things that push people out, the things that um, the things that they're leaving behind, um, and um, to to try to give a more balanced um, a more balanced perspective. Particularly from Africa, I mean, these—it's—it's it's, Italy, especially. It's—it's it's all sorts of uh, rumors about why they're coming and what they're coming for. But um, it's really nothing more than they just want what every single human being is entitled to, which is the best life possible for themselves and their loved ones. Absolutely, that comes through. And I was also struck by the fact that although they face struggles in their daily lives in Lagos, Nigeria, you portray that culture with a great deal of nuance and sensitivity. It's a very beautiful film. It's not a story of pure uh, poverty and degradation. On the contrary, it's these people lead rich lives full of um, interesting encounters with other people and, and with complicated situations. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, that's that's our home. So um, I think, you know, naturally, uh, when we sort of point the camera at our, at our, at our people and our culture, we, uh, we, we will be showing that in all its glory. Um, I mean, for example, um, we've had this conversation with a, a, a few people, we don't see poor people in our country we see a poorly run country um that you know the, the for example the, i mean 
we think of like Rose's outfits and what she wears. I mean, this is, there is such pride taken in the way you look um, at home and how you present yourself. Um, and I think those sorts of, those sorts of details are, are lacking from some of the other migrant films we've seen that are, that are often not done by uh, filmmakers from that place. Um, um, so we know these people intimately. Um, these are, th these are people that we have, um, met people that are friends. We have friends and family in the film. Um, so I, I, th I think, um, I think that was always, you know, I think the nuances of, of, of our culture are always going to come through. I mean, it, it was important to us and it was, um, um, not just in the writing, actually, in the filming as well. This idea of staging things in front of life as it happened in Lagos, um, in all those locations we were at, and collaborating with all the people that um, were either coming across screen or the or the or the the, the people in the environment in the in the in the locations in which we sort of sort of supplanted ourselves with our cameras and things. Yeah, I was really struck by the visual style of this film. I see long takes, I see warm color, gorgeous color. Um, can you speak about the color design of the film with its, its warm reds and blues and teals and golds? It's really very striking. Yeah, well, I, this was a, it was a combination of various departments. Um, um, our, um, our, uh, our production designer, Taisa Maluf, who's from um, Brazil, um, did such a wonderful job um, uh, coming out there and, and, and doing the, the adequate research, spending time in people's homes um, before we went out to shoot. Um, I think Lagos is, is, a, very, is a very colorful um, city. Um, so there's also a sudden um, amount, there's, there's also work that, that, this, that, the, that the city gave us as well. Um, um, a lot of what you see is sort of naturally there. But um, our costume designer as well, um, Daniel Bassi, who was very young when he made this film, he'd never left Nigeria and just came out of, um, of the University of Lagos. He was like 23 years old. Um, he was adamant not to have any black um, in, the, in the wardrobe. Um, uh, and um, I think that added to it. And then, of course, you know, shooting on film and Arseni Kachaturin's um, uh, cinematography, beautiful photographer, um, I think, uh, play to that as well but um you know we can go into sort of like the the palettes that we had for everybody but Moffe was very important for us to have these pastels and to be um uh grounded but grounded in color um um you know the funeral um outfits that, that they that they wear when he um, when he's burying his sisters um um is an outfit which is 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 um is an outfit from our, our part of our part of Nigeria, and we we chose purple. Purple is a regal color. Um, we sort of wanted to um, be celebratory um, um, when dealing with these when dealing with the characters in, in in all sorts of ways, but visually celebrating them visually was something that was important to important to us. So choosing film was 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 a big part of that as well. Um, I think it just makes it makes the image it makes the image feel a lot more intimate. Um, and, I, as, and as I say, it's the best technology there is out there to capture anything. And I think that the city and, and, and its people deserve that.
I couldn't agree more that your choice to shoot on film was the right one. It's just stunning. So, so you didn't consider for a moment shooting on digital video with all of the ease it offered. Our producers did for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always push back at this idea of ease. Um, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of a fallacy for, for two reasons. The first is, and my brother had this experience with a feature film he produced. Um, it, it, you know, every great piece of technology has one floor and that's, that's the user. And uh, they found that one of their hard drives had not been backed up and it got formatted and corrupted. And there goes weeks of work. Um, um, not that these things don't happen in film, but the thing is once it's sort of on the, once it's sort of been printed or once it's sort of been captured, it's, it's there. Like it's, you just got to get it to the lab. No one's going to hit a button somewhere and, and it's all going to be gone. Um, and then the, the the other part is, and I learned this at film school because I, I I made my second year short on film, and it was actually I was encouraged by one of the senior uh, one of our one of our senior um, classmates it, the year above came down to give a talk about his film and he shot on film, and he said uh, something that struck with me is that the the attitude on a film set is is very different as opposed to a digital set because um, people fully understand that it's like it's finite it's very finite whereas with digital it's delete and start again if you choose um and then the other aspect of it is if something goes wrong with a film camera it's going to be a mechanical problem whereas if it goes wrong with a digital camera you're looking at circuitry and you know you need true experts for that so i think sometimes um it's there are obviously because it's less complicated it, the word easy is used, but I, I, um, I personally think when you when you do the pros and cons, um, you'll find that it kind of they sort of they sort of level out in the end. It's just one seems more frightening than the other. Yeah, and I I think to add to that now that Chuko is saying that I realize that that has a lot to do with the colors and everything that you're seeing. Right. You know, on, on digital sets, you've got to find a lot. You've got to make it this. You're thinking about the color grade, but we we put everything that we wanted to see in front of the camera, you know, like, um, and Taisa Maloof again as our, our production designer did such a wonderful job with that. You know, it's just when we went into Moffat's home, it's just like we want it, uh, we want it brown, we want it earthy, but we want all the colors to pop to be things that maybe the sister put in there. And then when we get into Rosa's space, you know, we want it to be vibrant and representative of someone that loves fashion and 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 um and dress and and to just look her best always yes it's that is so successful in the film and also your color design works so well out in the city of lagos i i'm thinking of the scene when grace the younger sister of rosa goes to a pharmacy i believe to get some vitamins or something and there you have this play with the neon light at nighttime and and their costumes and it's just breathtaking like you'll have to thank the city of Lagos for that. That, that had nothing to do with us. <laughs> so the film is obviously a portrait of um, two really interesting people, a middle-aged man who is uh, an, electric, an electrician and then a younger woman who's taking care of her little sister and both are trying to improve their lives um, but it's also a gorgeous portrait of a complicated city. Can you talk about how you filmed Legos and what you wanted to achieve with the film in that regard? 
Um, for us, it was for us. It was about capturing. It was about capturing a city that really hasn't been captured um, at all. Um, uh, right from the beginning, uh, all those locations were written in, and um, um, in the early days of reading the drafts, uh, Ari was like, "So we're really going to shoot in forty-eight locations over X amount of days in, in a city that's notorious for traffic." And that's just difficult, to you know, just difficult to navigate because of the amount of people that, that are here. Um, and I nodded and said, yes, I am, you know, you know go, go big or go home is the, uh, the colloquialism. But, um, but yeah, that was a very, it was, it's, it was really, a, it was really, really important to show, to show the city in all its vibrancy and, you know, there's, they used to be. They used to be on the state line. Um, the welcoming. The, the sign on the state line used to just say, "This is Lagos." So it's not welcome to Lagos, but it's, it used to just be, "This is Lagos." Um, so it was really taking that spirit of, "This is it. This is how it is," this, and presenting it. And um, as you said, it's you know, it's by turns, it's by turns ugly and beautiful, and um, you know, there's there's joy and misery around every corner, and it's highly unpredictable. And it's just um, the two characters, uh, Moffat and Rosa. It's it's you know, it's them times two times twenty million. Like that's what's happening. It's just everybody's everybody's looking for a way ahead, and and that was. It. I think yeah, I think that was it. I think living here and growing up here, it's sort of suffused in you and. We wanted to. We wanted to really, really share that with the world. We sort of feel that um, it hadn't been. It hadn't been portrayed in this way. It hadn't been presented um, in a diverse manner. Most Nollywood films take place in like two or three locations, and you don't really get a sense of the place. Um, and that that was very important for us. So Nigeria, of course, has a thriving film industry. Um, my impression is that. Nigerian cinema is primarily a cinema of genre, but your film tends to avoid the conventions and the cliches of melodrama, although it certainly contains elements of, say, tragedy and fate. Um, how do you see the place of This Is My Desire in the context of Nigerian cinema today as a whole? Um, well, I completely agree with you that Nigerian cinema is a cinema of genre. It's, you know, Nollywood is a genre. It's, it's not... Um, an industry. I, 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 I argue that we don't have an industry yet because it's only one strand. There's only one strand to it. There's only one string on the bow. Uh, I think for us, we're just intent on making um, on Nigerian cinema. And there's, a, and you know, there's, there's, there have been a number of um, precedents and people that came before us that are that are moving away from from the. Uh, from Nollywood filmmaking and um, and you know between our circle of friends and our community, there's more, and that's that's just really the aim is to add another strand to it um, and to tell to tell more grounded, more um, more substantive stories. I I sort of say in Nigeria, it, you know, some of our theatre is really amazing and it deals with a lot of really really. Uh, um, Really heady stuff, and and it's a discourse on on the existence and the nature of the country. All that we have this in our music, we have it in our theatre, but we don't really have it in our film. 
And um, there's, there's, a, there's a group of us that are slowly moving towards that where I think it's natural really for, for creatives and for artists, you sort of react to the world that, you, that you're living in and, and uh, you might have a feeling or uh, something you want to express that you feel is, um, yeah, you have an expression, something in you you want to share and, and you go ahead and do it. Um, and I think that's now happening in film as it had happened in theater and music beforehand. That's great to know. Um, when you're watching the film, it, you get the feeling that there are thousands or millions of other interesting stories that could be told. It just The film awakens your curiosity about you know, what does it mean to live in Lagos right now? What, what are the possibilities? What are the constraints? What, what do these lives feel like and look like? So I get the feeling from this film that uh, the two of you have so many more stories to tell. Yeah, um, absolutely. I I I, uh, I I often tell the story of Chuko um, showing me um, Victoria De Sica's uh, The Bicycle Thieves as um, the uh, I guess the my eureka moment. I suppose as far as films concerned, I was still very young. I was sort of on the track to become a, to becoming a cinematographer, and um, I, I was just working in the camera departments as a trainee at the time. And, um, and when, I, when I saw that film um, and was introduced to this style of cinema, um, that's exactly how I felt. I was just like, oh, I can, you know, stories don't have to be um, explosions and um, things falling from the sky. Um, and stories about real people um, um, against real societal issues um, trying to do the most ordinary mundane tasks is um, completely interesting um, uh, and very worthwhile, in fact. Um, and with that, I was just like, oh, right, I can, I can go and I can maybe go and tell stories myself and I will never run out <laughs> if I am telling them from where I am, where, where I am, where I stand today. Um, and at the time I was in Lagos. <laughs> obviously but um um so i agree with you uh, that's why i'm doing what i'm doing i think because it's just um um an infinite amount of of stories and people and, and characters um to tell not just in lagos but in in, uh, in nigeria as a whole um you know the rhythms of, of of lagos and the rhythms of abuja are completely different its cultures are different um um the, the marriage of, of ethnic groups is completely different, you know, in different proportions. So it's, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm, you know, I think we're very excited to, to continue this journey. One of the things that emerges from the film for me is uh, that the trust that the two of you have, that the viewer will be interested in watching a person engaged in an activity. So, we spend a lot of time watching Mofe, one of the protagonists, try to repair the electrical system of, of, the, of the workshop in his first job. I think it's a printing press and it's, it's a poorly run, poorly, obviously a poorly financed operation. He's constantly begging for the resources that he needs to do his job, but they are not forthcoming. So he's constantly trying to you know, take his screwdriver and, and fix this electrical fuse board. It's the first image of the film, right? This kind of complicated, messy, colorful electrical fuse box. 
Um, so um, I, I really love that part of the film that it's like you believe in a cinema of process in, in watching people do things and, and trusting that this will be enough. Like it, like we don't need, as you say, an explosion or something falling from the sky. It's enough to watch a compelling character move through their daily lives. Just as we watched, you know, as you say, the character in bicycle thieves put up a poster in the street, like that's enough. Mm. Yeah, the Junction Box is very much a character in itself. You know, it has a visual progression. Um, um, it, it changes, um, his relationship to it changes. Um, and um, and it's a metaphor for everything that is happening in the film. It's a metaphor for Nigeria. It's a metaphor for um, uh, um, the, the, the Byzantine nature in which we try to just, um, or we're forced to try and make things um, uh, happen. Well, it was, I guess it's a little bit more interesting than that. It's a bit more dangerous than, um, um, but yeah, I see, I, I see, I see parallels in, in that. I, I think that, I think the, I think the factory is, is sort of Nigeria. Hope is the president and, um, the, the rules of the, the rules that are set of are ones that are, um, uh, I would say, uh, not n not well uh, it's not a well-oiled machine um but you've just got to try and make it work um but um but yeah the mundane is very interesting to to us i see i see i see so much in it i there's there's watching someone walk from left to right is you know is a progression that's an arc um, for me so you know going back to capturing lagos you'll see lots of people going about their day just doing, um, just doing what they do, and 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 adding that that um, um, that extra dimension, I think, to what's happening. I remember specifically in one scene, someone shaving. Um, he, it's, it'd be hard to catch him, but it's close to the beginning of the film. We're shooting somewhere in the morning, and there's just a guy um, somewhere in the background with soap on his face, and he just sort of like gently shaves everything away whilst the scene is taking, whilst the scene's happening. And I think, um, yeah, I hope that adds to the experience of the, of the film in the city. The film is very elliptical. Much remains unsaid. For example, we're not really certain uh, of the conditions under which Rosa's sister has become pregnant or what the plan is for them when they move to Italy have that wonderful scene with the kind of the broker, that really charismatic uh, actor who, who tries to, to cut a deal with them. And uh, she, she seems like a, a character of her own. That's very interesting, but it's unsaid. And it sort of reminds me of, of a film by Claire Denis called 35 Shots of Rum, in which so much is left out, but, but if you pay attention, you can piece it together and you will be rewarded for that. So um, I wonder if you could talk about that aspect of it. I, I know the script um, was written over the course of what, nine or 10 years, Chuko, is that right? So did you start, yeah. is that right? Okay. Did you start with um, a version of this story in which you say more or did you always have a kind of elliptical sparse plot in mind? Um, no, not at all. I, I had... I had um I had the uh I definitely had the 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 Warner Brothers version of this thing 
um, at one point there is that you know you know more of a thriller element and and like it just it evolved massively because I was evolving as a as a filmmaker over the time. Uh, I had the idea before I got into film school and actually my part of my application the one page treatment for for this was part of my application to film school and um, um, by the time I got into my final year where we were looking back and starting to write uh, features and thinking about what you were going to do because I was going to graduate with us with a with a as a screenwriting major essentially so I had to have a, a feature film ready um, I went back to that original idea but then it changed so much um, because uh, when I got back home and I was here again I got to to reconnect with the things I wanted to say and the films that I wanted to make it then it then evolved um, for me the I, I borrow a lot from literature because they're much, they're much smarter minds uh, than mine already operating in the storytelling space. So why do everything on my own? But um, I, um, I had a, it, it was really crystallized to me when I read, or rather reread uh, James Joyce's Dubliners, which um, I think is the finest collection of short stories uh, ever written. But when you read those stories, they have that effect. The the characters are just, you know, half, you know, you, he's happy to drop you in halfway through a conversation and he's happy to write people forgetting, forgetting what it is they wanted to say and and um and you you follow it. Uh, you you can fill the gaps in yourself. And much like you said about uh it's rewarding, that's really what it is. It's like it, I had that feeling reading the reading this book. And um, when you start revising, when I start, when this was revising, going over the screenplay uh, towards the end of it, I was like, you know, there's so much being said. And, and part of it is also the film school thing where you're sort of told you have to know everything and, you know, and everything has to be clear. Um, I think it's quite the opposite. Um, I, I think if you start from a place of, uh, of obscurity, you can make your way towards clarity. But if you start from clarity, there's no way you can go and um, so, you know, Grace is pregnant. That's that's the situation. We're here. We're we're in Rosa, and we're in Rosa, and Marfez lies for a short span of time. And when we arrive, um, the younger sister's pregnant. Um, tried to allude to it a little bit with the, you know, when she's on her own, and the sort of neighborhood guys are sort of hitting on her. But that's but that's sort of again, it's it's just an aspect of her day to day life as opposed to uh, exposition or anything in those lives. But um, but yeah, it it the it really grew from from reading from reading Joyce again and reading that set of stories and um and um and uh, I've 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 come late to Eric Roma's films and and I and I very much like what he does as well uh, and then I discovered that he actually didn't write screenplays he would write them as short stories and then turn them into into screenplays um, and. Um, yeah, I think I think this is I think this is the way forward. <laughs> yeah, I can see the Romer influence. I, I can see Italian neorealism, European art cinema in general, you know, what is left unsaid, the ambiguity in your film, and Romer certainly. Um, so I'm very interested in the structure of your narrative also. The paths of Mofe and Rosa cross 
briefly once or twice, but that's it. Um, a different kind of film might've brought these two characters together to fall in love, but, but you didn't make that choice. You keep their stories sort of parallel, uh, except for a few, a few interactions. Can you talk about the structure of your plot? Um, it, I think in, uh, initially they lived in the same building and uh, in a draft, they were in the same building and they shared this, they still share the same landlord, obviously. And uh, Ari made a point um, because Ari's, Ari, does, Ari does not give me filtered notes. There's, there's no, this is great, but it's just, this isn't working. <laughs> um, but he said, he said it felt small if they were in the same building that, um, you know, if they, what if they moved, if, if you move one character out, it expands the world completely. And, uh, and I completely agreed with, I completely agreed with that. Um, but in terms of chaptering, the chaptering actually happened uh, by, it was a happy accident. Um, what had happened was I was, I was in my last year at, in my last year at NYU and one of our classmates, uh, it was the first year that Gina, the Gina Davis Institute did their gender studies thing, yes. uh, their gender studies report. And that right. was the first year they did it. And one of our classmates sent it around and, um, and I read it and I found that I was actually very guilty of a lot of the tropes in terms of um, minimizing female characters. Uh, Cause she was, Rosa was very much a supporting character. And um, I went off to think a little bit about that and to think a little bit more about how I could give her uh three dimensions and her own life and her own world and um, and what it means to be a young woman in Nigeria and, um, you know, speaking to friends and interacting with people. And she just grew and grew and grew as a character where it got to the point where it was like, well, I may as well just give her a chapter. Um, and it was it was watching uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, Chunking Express and uh, Fatih Akin's uh, Edge of Heaven where, I mean, Chugging Express in particular, because he just splits that film into two. Like, the, you know, you've got the first story and then you've got the second story and together they make something whole. And, and that sort of that sort of emboldened me to, to just say, okay, well, why, they're going to different destinations. You can tell two stories about migration because it's, that it's different what they're doing and um, try to tie them together through location and other characters. Um, but that's how the chapters came about. She grew as a character, and as a result, she got her own chapter. That's great. It's really, it's really effective. And I, yeah, I see the Chunking Express connection with like two two distinct characters who, whose lives, whose paths may cross, but uh, but they that's not the whole story. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of something Anya Svarta did in 1955. She did her first feature does this exact same things like two characters from Paris visiting a small town in, in the South of France on vacation. That's one story. And then it's the story of some fishermen who live there and their work troubles. And so the two stories um, interact now and then, but they're mostly kept separate. So I, I really think that's a fruitful kind of structure for a film. So um, you mentioned, Tuko, that at a certain point in, in the development of the script, Ari said, no, this feels too small. <laughs> Can you tell me more about your working methods together? Your, your brothers, are, are you twins, actually? 
Yeah. Yes. So um, what, what is that like to work together? What's the division of labor? Well, the working method is I try not to make him angry and uh, we can uh, get along well. <laughs> no, I'll let Ari speak. Uh, no, well, I mean, um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, um, I started my film journey thinking I was going to um, um, end up in the, in the camera department. Um, I, I came from photography and um, Chuko came from, um, well, literature, I suppose, more than anything else, um, and did theatre at school and, um, and went on to work for, for an agency in New York for a time. Um, uh, so we were sort of in, we we're both behind the camera, but, in, but, but with um, different interests, I suppose. Um, um, and I think, um, and I think that just led us to, to, you know, me sort of on sets uh, being close to the cinematographer and sort of um, being more the architect of, of the visual language, sort of knowing what we both want in the, the films we both uh, sort of love and what we wanted the script to become. Um, and Chugo would spend a lot of time with the, with the, with the actors. Um, it, it was great because we could be in two different places at once, and um, obviously, you know, we 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 both we both have the same sensibilities, um, and um, um, so yeah, you teach you go doing the rehearsals. I would be doing the shot lists and everything else, and at the end of the day, we'd come together, compare notes, um, and you know, be able to go onto onto the set speaking the speaking the same language. But um, I was also very involved, I think, with a lot of the, um, with a, I was involved in all the, all of the drafts of the script. Um, um, and I think I, I was reading a bit, a bit more like a, I was reading it, but a bit more like a producer, I suppose, than anything else. But just, um, I'd produced a feature before, um, so I, I had that experience and it was, um, I was always just trying to make things possible, but also sort of making things visually interesting. There's a lot of editing as well in the in the in the script phase. Now that I think about it, when we talk, when you talked about the story being elliptical, it was there was a lot of sort of do we need that? Is that necessary? You know, just throw people in. Um, um, you know, don't make don't make the audience too too comfortable. Um, just bring them into the world and let them deal with it as it as it as it as it unfolds, or as it reveals itself to them. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, I think that's it. I hope I answered your question. A bit yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, can you um, tell me a little bit about your mode of production? Your film has had a very successful run in film festivals. It's Your film has traveled to uh, London, Berlin, Sao Paulo, Vancouver, Los Angeles, and now Madison, Wisconsin. And it's now in distribution in Nigeria. Um, so first of all, I want to know, like, what was your experience on the festival circuit? And then how is the film being received in, in Nigeria? And after that, if you could tell me a bit about sort of the financing and the just kind of the the of, of putting this film. I'm, I'm very interested in your mode of production. Um, well, I suppose the, the festival is an easy it's easy to answer. We were we were fortunate enough to be one of the filmmakers that had an actual physical world premiere, which we did at Berlin um, when coughing was innocuous, and um, and then everything 
well, we know what happened next. So I've, I've got to experience all these places through Zoom. So I've, I've seen a lot of walls in, in, in foreign countries and I could say they all kind of look the same. Um, um, but, it's, but it's been, but it, you still get feedback, which is kind of amazing. Um, um, you know, if we've had, I've had people sort of send a message on Instagram or, or comment on, you know, maybe if the film festival posts uh, a picture of the film, the comments, it's like, oh, I saw this yesterday, I really enjoyed it, and that sort of thing. And um, uh, so it's been, so it's, it's, it's been great to, it's been great to, uh, it's been great to sort of obliquely interact with people in this way, at least to get, get, you know, to learn that some people connect with your work and in so many, in so many, literally disparate parts of the world. Um, so obviously there are places I would have loved to have, uh, to have gone to, and, and that's just a small, a small pity, but yeah, I guess we have to make another film. Um, um, the, the production process, well, the financing was, a, was, a, it was, it was good luck and preparation. Um, I had a, when I used to play sports, I had a coach always used to say, you, you have to, you have to be prepared to receive your good luck. And um, we we met we met with uh, GDN Studios of the primary uh, the primary financiers of the film, and they are an offshoot of a of a major newspaper here, and they're trying to become a fully fledged media house, um, working throughout you know, in in film and television and print and press that sort of thing, and um, we we met with we met with them in Nigeria. Um, I had had a short film that had played at Berlin two years before, I think, and um, the the script had just won an award um, every year. NYU do this thing called the Purple List, where uh, they choose the best production ready graduate, uh, not well, production ready graduate or alumni script. And um, so, having those two things in hand when we went to meet with them, they sort of felt very confident and comfortable that, okay, they, likewise, they're, 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 their mission is aligned with us. They wanted to make a film that would travel the world that would not be an Hollywood movie, that would be something different, something new. Um, so they were, they were really wonderful. And, you know, just, we really couldn't have asked for better partners and that came, that came about well. And then the rest of the money came the old fashioned way, friends, friends, fools, and family. Um, and, um, and that's sort of how we cobbled together the financing for it. With the, the production aspect, um, it was, but with the locations, I, I had been sort of, even in the writing, wandering around and looking at these places and being in these neighborhoods. And, um, and after a while, you just become a familiar face. We're very communal here here and people begin to recognize each other uh, immediately. I actually rented, in order to put pressure on myself, I leased two apartments. Um, one we ended up using in the film, which is Moffet's house. And it's like here, you don't, you don't lease month, you don't lease, you're supposed to lease for two years at a time is, is how rent works here. And, um, and uh, so I, uh, I, I, I was working with these, I spoke to the owners and I was like, oh no, you know, 
kind of make a movie, but I won't, I won't be living here and stuff. It's just you know. So we came to a deal and we said, uh, he allowed me to rent the place for 14, 14 months. If no one, if nothing happens, then, you know, he can go back and put it out on the market. Um, uh, and rent was not expensive. Rent was 10 bucks a month is Moffet's apartment is $10 a month. Um, so, yeah, so I would, you know, I'd, but I'd come in and check every once in a while, visit, make sure that, you know, everything was still standing and also thinking more about how I was going to shoot there. And I'll look at, actually from that experience that I stayed, uh, my, the, the, the real estate agent I worked with ended up being our location manager. Um, because when I was explaining to him, no, I'm, I'm going to use it for a film. I'm not moving in. Um, he, he just sort of completely understood what it was. Um, we're trying to do at which point I was like well you know the neighborhood they you know what about a hair salon what about a uh, what about a uh, lawyer's office and so we that's sort of how we put all those locations together and our poor AD had uh, had the headache of making sure that we could get to all these places in the day in the days that we set aside Um, but that's kind of how it came across it came together and um and then when Ari came, Ari was in New York at the time, he came back and he also found a bunch of other locations through friends and connections and family. And you just sort of, you know, I guess that's how independent film works, right? You sort of pull whatever resource you have um, and you put it together. We, should have, we shot in our mother's apartment building. I won't say which one it is, but yeah, it's, you know, wherever you can and whoever has something for you, you, you do your best to re- respectfully ask for it and treat it well. But yeah, Did I don't you, know. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, actually. absolutely. Just, yeah. So it sounds like <laughs> you you had to commit to 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 being a presence in the neighborhood first of all, and, and yeah, then completely. you were yeah, and then you were able to use uh, the resources and the relationships that you established there to actually help you make the film. That makes perfect sense. Um, See. Did you use some non-professional actors or see, I got the impression that all of these actors were very experienced and uh, really extremely talented, but did you in fact end up using some, some folks from the neighborhood? To act in, no, none of the folks, no one from the neighborhood is acting in, is okay. actively acting. The, the, the hair salon owner is getting her hair done, but that, that's, about, that's about it. But the actors there, it's, it's a mix and match. I mean, Jude, who plays Moffat, um, is uh, that this was actually Jude Akuwudike, yeah. Yes, Akuwudike. He. Um, it was actually very early on in reading a draft. Ari was like, "Oh, you know who should play?" Because he was written younger. He was like, "You know who should play Moffat is uh, Jude Akuwudike," and uh, Ari had seen him a bunch in a, in a number of plays. He's a very, you know, he's a very well established uh, theatre stage actor in England. And actually, I hadn't been back to Nigeria. Uh, he left when he was six years old, and he hadn't been back uh, in any in, in a in a substantive way since. Uh, well, he came back for a week, ten years prior to the film, to the shooting of this film, to unfortunately bury his father. But he hadn't been back for a meaningful period of time, and um, but he took like a duck to water, really, and just completely fell into it. But yeah, yeah he's his extraordinary. Work yeah, his work speaks for himself. He's just he's just phenomenal. Um, the two girls, uh, Grace, uh, Cynthia, who plays Grace, uh, used to be a child actor. Um, 
she's she's actually still at college. She's an accounting student at Lagos State University. Um, but we went through the traditional open auditions. Uh, and she came in and and, and uh, again another just really wonderful actor. Um, Rosa uh, uh, Timmy, who plays Rosa. Um, she graduated whilst we were shooting. She was a final year uh, theatre arts student at the University of Lagos. And um, so it, this is her first film. It's her first, um, it's her first, uh, yeah, it's her first, it was her first time on camera ever you know, at that time. She'd just done school plays. Um, and then we, we picked from everywhere. We've got a couple of, uh, Wisdom, who plays Mofez, um, uh, his sort of apprentice, and then becomes like his partner. We we were really struggling to find actors for that role that we liked. So myself and the co-producer went to the neighboring, uh, a neighboring state, uh, um, to Oyo State, to the University of Ibadan. We just said we were going to do auditions for the college kids there and anybody could come and audition. And Wisdom was one of the people that came. Uh, the, the, the actor's name is Fortune, but he came as well. So he was a college student at the time. And so was... Uh, Joy, who plays Tolu, who's Grace's best friend. Um, those two were those two were juniors. They were juniors at University of Ibadan. So it's and then the rest are all, um, you know, uh, established, mainly stage actors. Uh, it's funny you mentioned how charismatic the madam was. She's a she's a she's a big she's a big time comedian here. Um, so she went against type and played a straight role. But uh, Chomaz, Chomaz, uh, she's a major person. She's a big personality here. Uh, she's the most famous person in the film. Um, she's great. <clears throat> okay, so what what uh, what what happens next with the film? So is it will it be distributed theatrically? Uh, it's currently well, obviously, it's currently in theaters in Nigeria. <laughs> um, oh, you asked. I forgot to answer that part of the last the last question. Um, uh it's so we're coming to the end of our run um we've been out for about a month now and um the reception has been really really surprising um uh, and what's been most surprising is seeing some of the city centers and some of the places in which if you had asked me before i would have been confident no one in those areas is going to want to watch this film and um in many cases they're indexing higher than some of the areas where I was like, oh, this, this would be a place where I imagine uh, people would be more, you know, there's more of a art house crowd in this area. But so it's been, it's been, it's been really fascinating to see, um, to see how, how much it's crossed, how, how much cross pollination there's been with the audience. And it's also been, it's been quite galvanizing because it's like, okay, so you can make an independent film and people will go and see it. There is an audience within the audience. You know, we had people, we had people tweeting. They had literally just they they were doing a double feature. They would watch, um, they'd watch a Yemo Fair. They'd watch This Is My Desire, and then they'd watch like the there's a big Nollywood movie out now called Breaded Life, which is like a really broad slapstick comedy. So I'm actually quite. I was maybe that should, maybe we should program them with another Nollywood film in future. You know, you put the serious one first and the slapstick comedy afterwards. But yeah, people doing double features that way, and that was, it was really really fascinating to see. Like some that you had these groups of people that were inter as interested in a Nollywood movie stuff that they that they've been watching all along, and and they're also willing to not just willing, they actually enjoyed watching 
um, a much smaller, um, uh, more serious DAO piece. Um, the hope now is to the hope now is to uh, is to is to keep hunting for distribution outside of outside of Nigeria. Um, we know we're set to release in uh, other parts of Africa later on in the year. Um, so it's now it's now we're now we're now looking and hoping for distribution in some of the countries that we've played at festivals and the more traditional sort of art house markets. Um, but um, yeah, that's that's it. I suppose that's what everyone hopes for when they get into it. Right. Absolutely. And uh, we all don't mind watching, you know, streaming films, but I think we all hope yeah. for the chance to get back into the theater and especially a film like this, that's so gorgeous. I mean, it, it demands to be seen on a big screen. So I really hope, I hope that happens for you. And, and I think it will. I think this is a film that is so appealing, so intriguing, so compelling. I think people all over the world are going to want to watch it in the theaters. So much. Well, listen, Ari and Chuko, I'm so grateful that you took the time to speak with us today, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. And uh, I'm just waiting for the second feature now. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank Take you for care. Us. Good care. luck. Good luck.